Greetings and welcome to episode number five of Earth Repair Radio. You can intellectualize it, but until you actually have planted a hundred trees, <laughs> you know, or you know, worked in the soil with your hands, um, you're not going to have the same experience. Our guest today is Jesse Bloom. Jessie is the owner and founder of Northwest Bloom Ecological Landscapes, and she's had a successful permaculture landscaping business for the last 18 years. Jessie's also the author of Free Range Chicken Gardens and Practical Permaculture Design, and she's a friend of mine, and I'm really happy to talk to her today. So without further ado, here's the interview with Jessie Bloom. Oh, wait. Jesse and I will be teaching a workshop together this summer of 2017 at Brighton Bush Hot Springs in Oregon called Designing Sacred Landscapes. So check that out. Hi, Jesse. Hi. How's it going? It's going well. How about for you? It's going really good. It's a beautiful day here in Corvallis, Oregon. Finally, we're hitting some warm weather. Um, I'm so glad that you've agreed to talk to me here. Um, you've done so many incredible things, and uh, I've I've known you for a while, and I, I'm really excited to hear a bit about your story um, about how you became a successful business owner in the realm of earth repair. So um, just to start off, why don't you just give us some background? I mean, how, how did you... Why don't you give us a little description of, of what you do and, and how you built your business and your organization up there in the Seattle area? Okay. Well, I own a business. It's called Northwest, Eco, or Northwest Bloom Ecological Services. Um, we used to call ourselves landscaping, ecological landscaping, but we decided to change that with a recent rebrand. And currently, um, we do design, consultation, construction, maintenance, we do basically everything that is needed on the exterior of someone's living space or whether it's also like a business or um, farm. We do all kinds of work outside with the earth. We also are getting into tiny house construction and, and more structural components of the landscape, but do a lot of outdoor construction, um, whether it be uh, kitchens or uh, patios, living spaces, whatnot, and a lot of permaculture, uh, design elements, food forests, um, edible systems, animal systems. And so we've, we've been doing that now. The business is going to be 18 years old this year, Wow, which is really exciting. Um, it feels like my oldest child. <laughs> <laughs> I got started pretty young. I, uh, my, my story actually began when I was a kid, I, I grew up in the forest and, really being outside all the time was my thing. That's where I felt the best and safest and um, had a relationship with the earth that um, I could not deny. And when I became a teenager and was a little bit more aware of what was happening in the world, I really saw this need for uh, ethical, ecological work to be done. And I went to college for environmental horticulture thinking that I would learn everything I needed to know. I should mention I also grew up next door to a farm. So in my earliest days, my best friend was a cow. Hmm. And I wanted to be a farm girl. I, I really enjoyed 
harvesting food and, and really being involved with that type of life and was transplanted to a suburb of Bel- uh, called Bellevue, Washington, um, just outside of Seattle and kind of had culture shock after living in the farm world for yeah. most of my childhood. And so I went to school thinking that I could learn how to get back to that and ended up learning a lot about the green industry, um, landscaping, um, the, the construction, but also the maintenance side of things and realized there's this huge disconnect in actually taking care of and stewarding the earth. Um, some of my moments of aha, like new consciousness were around the time I was studying pesticides and I was just appalled by what I was learning and not only just the, the practice being so acceptable of using chemicals on a regular basis, but how it impacted us, how it impacted our waterways and all the organisms and, and life on this planet. And so when I got out of college, I, I wanted to really work for the earth. I didn't want to follow those practices and get a pesticide license and do a lot of spraying and, and chemical applications. So I couldn't really find a job in the, in the early years that kind of followed those values or ethics and worked for a variety of like nurseries where uh, chemical use was common. I refused, I, I completely refused to get a pesticide license and ended up finding myself going to school for wetland science and management. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to really learn about ecosystems and how they functioned and, and marry the, the concepts that I had learned in horticulture with ecology. And at that time, I started working for the government. I worked for the conservation district here in King County and did uh, wetland monitoring. I did volunteer coordination. Uh, really felt good about working with the earth, but it was a grant-funded position. And I had to commute an hour and a half each, mm. each direction, which kind of felt uh, like the wrong thing to be doing <laughs> at that time. So I went back to the private sector and started looking for a job so that I could put all these new um, principles into action for people in their backyards and found myself at a job where the practices, although they were being marketed as sustainable, were really unethical. And I just couldn't stomach it. I had a really hard time. I would get um, anxiety about going to work. I had a pretty awesome position at my age and um, had a really difficult time finding that job initially because everywhere I went, uh, I was kind of looked down upon as this young girl that had these ideals that nobody really believed in and would be told I was naive. And I had um, dreams that would never amount to anything. Hmm. And it was really hard to hear that um, when I was so excited (laughs) about what I had learned and really what I thought we should be doing. And I found a company that really took me in and I I, uh, worked with a a really big, a lot of big projects really early on. And, but the, the unethical practices of just not the people weren't being taken care of in the way that they should have been. Um, the, there was, there was some, I would say slimy activities happening behind the scenes. And I, I ended up quitting and didn't have a plan to really go forward because I just, I just had to get out. And at that time I was, probably, well, I was in my early twenties 
And I, I couldn't, like I said, I couldn't find a job that like aligned with my values. And so I decided to start my own business and that was in 1999 and just started out by myself, uh, me and a pickup truck and a little rickety trailer. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I started, uh, putting my name out there as a, like almost like an estate gardener. So I could help people just take care of their land. And from there it grew and grew and grew to the point where I had to, to really manage the growth, um, and to now where the business is pretty much takes care of itself and flourishes, um, on its own. And I act as a consultant and a designer. Um, but it's, it's been a a wonderful journey. Um, a lot of, a lot of learning for sure. Yeah. So what, what do you feel like is the most potent kind of work that you're doing right now in your business? Oh, there's a lot that I feel like is making a, a big difference. Um, so I wear a lot of different hats in the company as far as like where my efforts are pointed and, and what kinds of projects. I would say on a residential scale, um, there's two things that really stand out. And one is stormwater management. Um, so here in the Northwest, I'm sure you know the, the rainfall can be pretty intense for a good chunk of the year and it causes a lot of problems downstream um, if it's not managed well um, in, in the watershed. And so one of my roles, and especially I think because I had a, a pretty intense background with sensitive area management and wetlands, um, I got involved in constructing rain gardens and bioswales and a lot of a lot of those earthwork type of projects early on. And now they're being funded um, through local jurisdictions, like, uh, homeowners and residential projects are getting rebates. And Mm. so a lot of what we do is create ecosystems for people, like take a degraded landscape and really transform it into a, uh, multifunctional space, um, ecologically for the the human that's living there. Mm. And, the the stormwater management is a big piece of that and creating water systems. So also capturing the water, using it for irrigation. Um, I, w- I would say that's one of my, my specialties personally. Yeah. Uh, and then creating food systems as well, specifically perennial food. So uh, food forest models and um, just a lot of perennial perennial foods that I'd say this is the most impactful on a, on a, like a personal level with people. People don't get too excited about, you know, their, their rain gardens, although some do, (laughs) Um, but there's, there's just a different connection with people growing their own food. And I think that reaches people's hearts and stomachs (laughs) a lot faster than a rain garden will. But somewhat on, on a systemic level, you've got these municipalities offering rebates for stormwater management, and that's kind of getting you in the door in a lot of different projects. Uh, and then are you uh, bringing in the food element from there, or, or does it happen the other way around? It actually happens the other way around. Uh, the projects that when people are looking for just the rebate only, we're not usually a good fit for people. Um, there's companies out there that are a little bit smaller and able to fit people in quicker. Our, our lead time, uh, typically is about six months for people from 
their first phone call to consultation to breaking ground. Mm -hmm. So uh, we usually are doing uh, projects like the entire project and then rain gardens happen to be one of the many elements that we put in to the landscape. Yeah. Um, well, that's really interesting that, uh, that the municipalities are actually kind of instigating this larger scale restoration of the hydrologic system. Um, yeah. and that there's other companies competing as well. That's like, that's, um, that's, you know, a really progressive thing, uh, that I, I'm, you know, I'm starting to think about these larger scale patterns of earth repair, mm-hmm. you know, and, and how, um, how we can induce the, you know, a lot of these types of systems to go on where they, to go in the ground where they start to really actually make a difference. So that's really neat to hear about. Um, so, you know, it sounds to me like you're really working with the general public and you're on this level of people calling you guys for bids and you're bidding against other landscapers and you're on this whole, um, you know, business consumer level. How do you translate ecological principles and permaculture to the general public and sell them on it? Well, there's a lot of ways. Um, I've tried to find language that speaks to people or really looking for what people want. Um, Right now, the push is really for growing a lot more food. So that's a really easy one to communicate. Um, Before that really was, was popular, I'd say like maybe eight years ago, people were looking for low maintenance. Hmm. And so that's something that uh, resiliency is, it really speaks to in the landscape context of being able to create systems that take care of themselves and follow nature's patterns and examples to, uh, to not require as many resources down the road. So whether it be uh, drought tolerant plantings or the perennial foods that are going to get established in a few years um, having water systems that are gravity fed. Um, all of these things are, are things that we can communicate on a level of like, just it's going to be lower maintenance. Hmm. Um, and people really get that. But also speaking in terms of like how an ecosystem functions with biodiversity and um, stability in that, whether it be inviting in insects, for example, um, as a pest control uh, or like managing pests, or inviting in animals like uh, chickens, for example, which is also tying into the food system. So we, I try to bring in a lot of different elements, and each client is so different at where they're at. I have to meet them where they're at. And we have a survey that we start with at the very beginning when they contact us to get, to, to get a feel for where they're at, because... Um, if they're looking for something in particular, then we want to know that ahead of time and can really start to, to translate how that goal can really become um, reality for them. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. You mentioned that people are now more than, I think you said eight years ago, are really tuned into food production. And you also talked about resilience. Um, where, what do you think people are thinking about out there? I mean, you're exposed to a lot of people, the general public through your work. What's, what's the general mind frame in in people's desire to implement permaculture systems and increase food production on their sites? Uh, well, there's a lot of, a lot of things at play. I think human health is a big 
piece of that. And living in the Pacific Northwest, I think we're really in a progressive bubble, if you will. But um, really, a lot of education happening about um, just good, healthy food choices and organics and, you know, knowing where your food comes from. And I think that is largely what draws people to growing their own food. It's a it's a much sexier sell, and I use that word because we joke about it a lot, especially with the water districts. When mm-hmm. we, I teach for them, and it's hard to make water conservation sexy. But I, I personally um, think water conservation is really sexy. I do too, but <laughs> <laughs> I think we're an exception. Yeah. <laughs> um, but food is a really easy sell for people, and um, once you've had homegrown food. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's something that I think most people want once they've gotten a taste of it. Yeah. So you feel like it's more of a personal quality of life of why people are doing that versus necessarily like a, a larger ecological vision. It depends on the person. Everybody is so different. We have people who I would call preppers, you know, Mm -hmm. really wanting to, have as much food uh, resiliency as possible and um, food security. And then we have people who have children and who are really starting to become aware of, you know, the chemicals being used in our, our agricultural system and starting to realize the best way to have that, that food or nutrients delivered to their bodies is through their, their own gardens. Yeah. And so, I mean, it can get political. Um, it, it's, it, there's a lot of different reasons, I think, that people really want to do this. And, and a lot of times I'm introducing it also. So a part of our process is we, you know, we start with the survey to feel people out for what they're looking for. Uh, when I do an initial consultation, I introduce a lot of these ideas to people. Um, most people don't, uh, you know, come to me saying I want a food forest. Yeah. Um, Some do. There's a few that do for sure. But most of them might want to, you know, grow an apple tree or, you know, grow their own tomatoes and, I will bring them a plant list that they're usually like, whoa, I didn't know I could grow this and this and <laughs> this. And, and I'm like, yeah, just start to think of your grocery bill, you know, and like, where do you spend your money with produce? Uh, let's start there. And if, if we can get some fruit trees and, you know, shrubs and perennial food in the ground, uh, you'll have, you'll have more resiliency and save some money. And um, that usually gets people really excited. Yeah, so you probably think a lot about what are these leverage points, like these little sound bites and one-liners that can shift people's uh, shift people's attention. Because I, I, you know, I do a lot of property design for people as well. Typically, when people come to me, I mean, they're coming to me because they want a permaculture design. So I don't tend to do small-scale residential stuff. I tend to do people more like homestead scale people that are interested um, in creating somewhat of a permaculture farm. And like you said, definitely there's a, there's a demographic that you might describe as preppers, people that feel like, um, everything is really unstable and they want to be able to, uh, support themselves without, um, you know, modern infrastructure, functional functioning. Um, -hmm. but, uh, it's, it's really interesting just to think about, um, all the different, the leverage that you have as a designer, it's like, you know, when people come in and they talk to me and I give them ideas about their property, a lot of time, one little, one little idea I give them will actually shift their whole 
perception about things and they'll go in some other direction and they'll move one element here and they'll, you know, put a pond here and they'll do all this major work based on these little ideas that are planted by a designer. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's interesting the amount of power you have of suggestion. So, so I like to, do you have any more little one liners you can share with us or little, little seeds Mm -hmm. that you tend to plant in, in your clients' minds? Um, well, I, it, a lot of it is driven from the survey questions, but some of the easy, like I call them hooks, like how can I hook them into ideas that will be most useful for them? And one of them that I like to, you know, when you come into someone's house, a lot of times they'll offer you water or tea. Um, and I love to talk tea because that's one of my passions. And one of the easiest things to build into a garden is plants for tea. Hmm. And, um, so that's, that's one of the easy ones to think about. Like, what, what do you drink? What do you spend your time putting into your body that, or, or you pay a lot for, for example? Um, and if you're drinking organic tea, uh, oftentimes, you know, you pay a good amount of money for a box of like 15 bags of mint. (laughs) And it's probably one of the easiest things that people can grow. Um, in fact, it's a little too easy to grow. (laughs) So there's, there's little things like that, that I try to get to know the person a little bit first. Um, parents, you know, we can talk about incorporating things for the kids. And I I guess there's so many different things that you can include that I just really look for what, what they would benefit from most. And, Everybody likes butterflies and dragonflies, and uh, I really try to push pollination or pollinator habitat. Mm. So um, that's another survey question. You know, does anyone have a a severe allergy to bees or, you know, just to make sure um, that that's not going to be an issue? So lots of lots of little little things that add up to a lot. And even when it comes to pets, you know, if the if the animals are outside, I one of my favorite things to do is have a little garden for cats. Even hmm. if they're indoor cats, you can, you know, grow cat mint. And uh, so... All <laughs> these stumbling I, cats I, around. My cat likes to get high and do yoga. So right. uh, there's there's all kinds of things, that, depending on the family structure or the pets or, you know, where someone's at in their life. Um, some people are kind of done with gardening and they just want an oasis to meditate in. So... Yeah. You know, trying to meet people where they're at, I I would say is one of the biggest responsibilities as a, as a designer, I would never push someone towards something they couldn't handle. Um, the, and a lot of times, unfortunately, my job also includes a pretty harsh reality check. Mm. And that sometimes is hard for me because people get really excited about something, but they don't realize either how much it's going to cost or how much work it's going to take to maintain. And so delivering that news sometimes is like, you know, kind of a letdown, I think. But for the most part, I'd rather people be successful than push themselves to, you know, beyond their capacity to be able to take care of something. Yeah. Now, do you find yourself frustrated when you're faced with people that it seems like they just have a real overconsumption in their lives. You know, I mean, it seems like you probably are exposed to, you know, clients that 
are living all different kinds of lifestyles. And, you know, I, I, I mean, I just know I, I did residential landscaping, um, for quite a while when I lived in Arizona as well. And, you know, I, I, I would, I would say I'm not a, I'm, I'm a landscape counselor because suddenly you're mm-hmm. in these people's lives, yeah. you know? And so, I mean, I mean, how do you, how do you deal with, with the, with America? <laughs> well, huh, yeah, there's, Fortunately, I don't get too too involved in their consumerism habits outside of the landscape. Um, I try not to to get you know into too much inside the home unless there's a real specific ask for it. Um, and when it comes to like the garden, I call myself a garden counselor all the time, mm-hmm. and that really is more about the relationships, uh, between the people who live in the, the home or so a lot of the work I'm doing right now as a consultant and designer is with nonprofits and larger scale businesses where there's massive, uh, numbers of stakeholders. And sometimes I end up being the mediator and it's, it's been a, an interesting shift going from like working with a couple who may not see eye to eye about their vision, um, is a different ball game than, you know, 12 people around the table who all have different ideas and opinions. And I can tell you one of the things that's been really helpful for that is um, learning about nonviolent communication and really understanding what people's needs are and how to communicate in, in those, those terms. Um, but again, I end up being the person who gives the big reality checks and, with larger projects, well, I guess in any projects, um, one of the big reality checks is financial. And that's something that uh, I wish people right up front would be clear about their financial constraints because you can spend a lot of time doing design work, come to find that it will never happen because of the budget doesn't allow for it. And a lot of people don't know what their budget is because they don't know how much something costs. But um, landscape work or building these kinds of systems can be very expensive. And um, that's, that's been one of the real clear uh, constraints that's easy to talk about versus someone's vision is in conflict with someone else's vision, which you know, hopefully we'd get straightened out right away. And I try to make sure that's figured out in my surveys right up front so that those conversations happen ahead of time. But it, it happens enough to uh, really try to, I have to navigate it quite a bit. Yeah. How many people are working in the company? Um, right now, eight. I like to keep it under 10, <laughs> if mm-hmm. at all possible. Um, but it fluctuates a lot depending on season and if we're taking in um, interns or doing work trades. I really like to have people have access to the work who are interested and maybe not ready to make a career choice out of it. Mm-hmm. So try to create as many possible or, you know, opportunities for that to happen as possible. Nice. So what kind of difference do you feel like you're making with this? <sighs> well, I think in the business, um, we impact our clients in a pretty, pretty profound way. I would say that most of them would agree to that. Um, my role as a business owner, I think, uh, not only am I, helping to make a difference with those clients. I'm trying to help make a difference with employees lives as well and 
a lot of them I'm, you know, wanting them to follow their passions and give them space and resources to do that. And you mentioned earlier, uh, like how interesting it is that there's this niche for uh, water management coming about from the jurisdictions offering rebates. And I've always told, I've told all my employees that if you guys want to take on like rain garden uh, projects, like I, we have an opportunity here to take more of those on. We just need a whole crew to do it. And nobody's been game for it quite yet, but maybe someone listening will contact me. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I like to, I like to create opportunities and, and connections and resource, share resources. Uh, as an author, I feel like I make a, a difference on a much larger scale. Um, so writing books has been, um, a really good way for me to share information and inspire people. I think that's one of the things I've come to realize is to make a difference. We, we need more inspiration of, of things being done and how to do it in a way that doesn't cost tens of thousands of dollars because not everybody has that kind of money um, and would still like to make change in, in their lives and, and with the, the earth that they're, they're stewarding. So being an author has, has been a pretty good opportunity for me. I, I travel around the country and after I do workshops and seminars, I get to meet people who have read my books. And what's pretty amazing is, is the diversity of people that I meet who say how much my books have changed their lives. And at first with, I wrote the free range chicken garden book. Um, I was just amazed at how many people like they would come to me crying Hmm. and say, you know, my, my entire life changed after reading your book. And, uh, (laughs) yesterday I actually did a, uh, a a presentation for a a wilderness school here in the Puget Sound called Alderleaf. And one of the young men who was in the, uh, he was one of the students came up to me afterwards and he said he came to one of my talks at a local nursery and asked me how he could learn more. And I told him to get a PDC and uh, told him about the Bullocks homestead on Orcas Island. And he quit his job, went to take a PDC. Uh, and That's then, a permaculture design course for anybody that doesn't know. Yeah. And, and then uh, right after that, enrolled in the, the wilderness school. Uh, <laughs> and he was like, it was all from you. And I just, it just made my heart melt, like to hear that, you know, just, just giving someone a, you know, a little piece of advice or, shared with them resources could make such a big change in their lives. So, Mm. um, yeah, on a local scale, the company does a lot of work and, but it's pretty limited in how many projects we can do each year, you know, uh, in someone's backyard or, uh, in a business, but writing seems to be the way to have a bigger impact Mm -hmm. from my experience anyways. We also know that you give a lot of talks. You've talked, you've talked to me before about this, how, you know, you talk to the more of the conventional landscape and nursery industry. And, um, what, what kind of, how open do you feel that they are to, to the kind of, uh, ecological and permaculture information that you're bringing? <laughs> well, when I first got into it, they, everybody I met was pretty shut down except for a few mentors that I happened to find that were supportive in my earlier years. And now, funny enough, I'm one of the instructors for uh, Washington State has a new program called EcoPro. And so a big part of my career has been to try to make changes from the inside out. Mm. And uh, I felt really strongly about volunteering 
and being a part of advisory boards within the industry for many, many years. And one of my tasks was to be on the advisory board for a new uh, new set of standards hmm. uh, that's now called the EcoPro program, and it's funded by uh, government agencies and has now become a new certification within the industry. And so I, that's another one of my, like the feather in my cap of, I feel really um, proud to have been a part of that. And now teaching it is, has been, te- I teach a few of the, the modules in the training um, has been pretty amazing, but I do, I do a lot of training now for people in the field. And now I think more than ever in my career, there's a real need for that, uh, or there always has been a need, I guess, but there's, there's a push for it. And because I've been doing this for so long, uh, I'm just, I'm one of the people that they, they end up calling when they need, they need help. And I, I write a lot of articles for that audience as well. Um, but I speak to a lot of different groups and types of people and I, I have to, choose my words and and messages carefully because every audience is a little bit different. And when I'm speaking to say uh, maintenance professionals versus design professionals uh, versus construction, like in the green industry. And then I work with a lot of homeowners and education uh, from in the public sector from government programs. So like the water districts that have me teach those topics and then media as well will have me, do presentations for their events. And so a lot of different audiences and um, in a lot of different regions too, not just Washington state, but all over the country. Wow. So, so you're, you're like a shape shifter in a way. I like to think of myself as an edge species. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It seems like you just have the ability to, I mean, have you always been like that? It seems like it seems like you have the ability to just adapt. Like, oh, this is the audience I'm speaking to now, and you know, I, I mean, it sounds like you're really successful at just meeting them at the level that they can comprehend, and then where you can connect with them, and then bring them somewhere, bring them closer to um, some sort of idealized state of working in harmony with the natural environment. Yeah, I think meeting people where they're at has been a big, um, a big edge in my career of learning because I always felt like I could speak plants and animals pretty well. And when I when I actually wrote the Practical Permaculture book with Dave Bainline, that was when I really shifted towards how can I reach people more. Uh, and intentionally went into a lot of work around understanding humans and their belief systems and really like how, how changes can happen within, uh, uh an existing human model. <laughs> and I think I'm one of the reasons I'm good at it is cause I'm really empathetic and I can put myself in people's shoes pretty easily. Mm. Um, and I also do a lot of research. So if I'm going to travel, I, I want to know what the, what's going on in a region. You know, what are the things that people are worried about? Is there, um, drought? Is there political issues that are important to people? Um, you know, what's happening regionally makes a big difference in how people respond and, and want to make changes in their own lives. So I, I think that's another piece of it. And just being able to speak in a universal language, I think permaculture, um, one of the things that I was kind of standoffish 
uh, initially about permacultures, there's a lot of jargon that takes a lot of time to learn. And really when we're speaking in ecological terms, the, um, it, we can, we can define the, the, that same, uh, jargon a little bit or simplify it, you know? And I think one of the things that permaculture does so well is it creates our, we can create our own paradise, if mm. you will. And so that's a, a pretty easy concept to sell to people is, you know, what do you, what do you really want? How do you want to live your life? Um, and so that's been a pretty easy thing to communicate. I just have to do it in, in, uh, regional terms and to, to different types of people, whether it's their profession or interests, um, whether it be homesteading or, um, starting out with, you know, just wanting to dabble in, in food gardening. Right. So, well, yeah, well, there's this interesting, um, there's this interesting polarity between people that want to go and work within the existing system and change it from the inside out. So, you know, you said, made a comment like that, um, versus people who feel like they want to be separate and outside from that system and create something that, that is not, um, is not dependent on the system. And, you know, there's, there's pretty strong feelings in, in both of those different, um, poles. And of course, everything's a spectrum. Um, I work at a university, so I tend to be on the spectrum on the side of you, which is being in the system and transforming it from within. But do, do you have any thoughts on, on that? Well, yeah, the, the spectrum is pretty pretty wide, and the, it, when Dave and I wrote Practical Permaculture, I felt like we were on the opposite ends of the spectrum of who we were teaching. I was the person that would meet people and introduce the ideas. I would introduce those concepts. I would plant those seeds, and when they were ready and they were going to make these changes and knew that this was a, a, a big shift in how they operated in the world. Then they would go to someone like Dave who was teaching PDCs and advanced courses, um, of like actually how to make these differences. But I, uh, yeah, I definitely reach, uh, the people who are in the earlier phases. Um, although I do teach many, many subjects in much more depth, I think one of my my specialties in teaching is just introductory work and how to get the concepts to be digestible mm. um, rather than off-putting or um, intimidating. Um, really make it something that's like achievable and inspiring. Those are those are things that I try to do, anyways. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think you do a great. I think you must do a great job of it because you're you're continually more and more successful at it, um, since I've known you. So, you know, obviously you're reaching people and making a difference. Um, and I think that, I think that the fact that, I mean, 18 years into your business, there's a lot of people, I mean, I teach students, you teach students that they really want to spend their time doing permaculture or, you know, being connected to the earth, making a difference, building their skills, Mm -hmm. Right. And do you have any advice for people, especially young people that really have their lives ahead of them and they want to have right livelihood? They want to spend their times doing good work. How, how do they break through? I mean, how does someone break through to the level where you're at, where you're really thriving and 
doing good work at the same time and employing a number of other people. I mean, do you have any any tips for the person just starting out on this path? Well, a couple, uh, like, first of all, the principle that comes to mind is start small. Um, to not to not get in over your head with any kind of financial debt or anything like that. Just start with what you have initially. If it's, it's in the gardening world, it's not that hard to put your name out there as someone who can do maintenance. Um, there's not a lot of overhead. There's not, uh, there's not a lot of, um, things or barriers to entry in that field. It's pretty easy to get going. Um, the other thing I would recommend, and there's actually, there's a lot I would recommend actually, um, learn as much as you can by doing. I think that books and even some schools, you don't embody a lot of this. You, um, you can intellectualize it, but until you actually have planted a hundred trees, <laughs> you know, or, you know, worked in the soil with your hands, um, you're not going to have the same experience. So as much of that as you can get, the better. And doing volunteer work, I think, is another really good foot in the door. Um, it's, a, it's a great way to get started and network and just meet people and also see if it's what you want to do. I meet so many students who all want to be designers and then I tell them a couple stories about projects that I've worked on and they like kind of their eyes get big, like, Oh wow. I didn't even think I might run into that. Mm. Um, and most of the people who want to do design work are really wanting to do the earthwork. They're not wanting to do the people work. Mm. And so that's another thing is to really figure out what you want to do by just experience by volunteering um, and finding the path that feels the best, like really following your heart. I knew I wanted to work with the earth, but there was no way it with my values that I was going to ever spray chemicals on plants or in the soil. I just knew I couldn't. And I followed that whether I was hungry for, you know, a season or two, um, <laughs> you know, struggled with bills. I, I still stuck to my values. And I think that's one of the things that made me successful is people saw that in me. And when I would say like, I'm sorry, we just won't do that. Um, that, that was reassuring to them Hmm. that we weren't sellouts or we weren't going to, um, say one thing and do another. So, yeah. Yeah. They could, they could trust you because they knew that you were going to stay with your integrity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And ethics are, huge. I mean, obviously permaculture is rooted in ethics. And if, if you can stand by those ethics in your life, uh, and in a business, I, I think it's only natural that people will be successful, but, um, there's a lot of, lot of reality checks and a lot of learning that happens along the way. And it was by no way in shape or form easy for me. Um, the past 18 years, (laughs) it's, uh, it's been a lot of work and mm. I guess that's the other piece of advice is expect to work. Right. Um, so, and now I can finally, you know, take a vacation or time off. But, um, in the beginning years I couldn't, I, I just, I had to work. So. Yeah. And now you can, per- now you can pursue other things and kind of, I, I know that you're, you're, um, you're expanding out. I mean, you, you know, you wrote the book on, 
on chickens and you wrote the, uh, the per- I, I know when you introduced the um, practical permaculture book to me, you said something like, this is your mother's permaculture book or something or like, a, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's approachable for anybody. Right. Right. And that seems to be one of your big themes is make this just approachable to people. So that's, mm-hmm. that's really valuable. Um, what else are you up to these days that you want to share? Well, I'm almost done with the third book and that one is in the editing phases right now. It should be out in about a year, maybe a little bit over a year, Hmm. um, by Timber Press. It's called Everyday Sanctuary, or at least that's the working title of it. The idea came about, uh, around the time the practical permaculture book was being written in, wanting to understand the human psyche and how things change and how we get into behavioral patterns that are not good for us um, and set us up for um, illness or disease or really like how do, how do we how do we take care of ourselves and I think that's uh, really one of the things that permaculture has taught me in not only taking care of the earth but to take care of ourselves and so the book is really, it's sort of about self-care <laughs> in a way. I don't want to give away too much information, but um, it's about creating sacred space for yourself and really having relationships with plants beyond beauty and food. So I look at medicine. I look at spiritual purposes and uses of plants from back in the day, uh, many thousands of years ago, and then try to correlate the scientific data uh, now and that that backs up those those original uses for the plants but a lot of it's about self-care and how we can take care of ourselves with nature and the the plants and the allies that we have that we can grow in our own gardens well yeah because if we're not taking care of ourselves then we can't do good work in the world we won't we won't be able to sustain or maintain our own energy and our own uh relationships yeah, yeah, and I I learned that um, firsthand having a permaculture farm and business and all these things that uh, really I, I I had a period of extreme burnout and a lot of things changed in my life and I had to look at this uh, deeply and so the book is is really kind of about the journey in learning that but um, I it's one of the things I'm seeing more and more as uh, people take on projects that are a little bit bigger than they can probably handle is, is a burnout physically, mentally, spiritually. And so how can we come back to center and make sure that we're, we're able to take care of, take care of ourselves so that we can sustain. Yeah. Yeah. There's uh, that, that reminds me of some of the recent work that I've seen people like Tim Ferriss and different authors talking about um, the habits of successful people. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and how do people maintain healthy habits to just maintain their own energy level, keep their focus, keep their relationships good, keep physically healthy, keep calm, um, you know, be able to, go to get a good night's sleep. I mean, all those things are these really important parts of just being a functional person that can really reach your highest potential. And I feel like, you know, on the, on the level of, of earth repair, um, the amount of work that we need to do in this world and the the level of repair to of of damaged ecosystems and uh you know we need a lot of really healthy clear 
focused, calm, and energetic people to mm -hmm. uh, do the level of work and, and also to, to navigate navigate what I think of, you know, in societies, like the madness to some degree, like, like, it sounds like you're really able to navigate society in this way, where you're able to sprinkle these ideas throughout, um, in, you know, in somewhat of a, a mainstream population. And so, um, you know, I just, I really applaud that. And I think that's, it's a, it's a potent, uh, it's a potent skill that, that people could really benefit from, um, from sharing your wisdom on. So, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So Jesse, we're doing this workshop together this summer at the epic Brighton Bush Hot Springs, one of my favorite places in the world, um, called Designing Sacred Landscapes, right? It's going to be a five-day workshop where we're actually designing the, um, the new community housing area for the residents of Brighton Bush up on the, this beautiful south-facing slope. Um, across the river from the main retreat. Do you want to talk a little bit about what your vision is for that course? Sure. I'm, well, first of all, I'm really excited um, to, to be there and to be with you. It's, it's, it'll be quite an honor since you've been my, my teacher um, in, a, in several different ways. Um, yeah, I think that people will walk away with a new understanding uh, in the workshop from how to, um, communicate in a community project, which can translate to just about any scale, but also reading the landscape in a really different way than, uh, just physical. So we'll be using our bodies more and, and really embodying how to create sacred space. So I'm really excited about it. Yeah, I'm really excited too. And hopefully some of the people listening will get excited as well after hearing you talk for the last hour or so and uh, hearing what an amazing and inspiring person you are. So that's going to be a great one. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Hope, hope uh, the right people show up. They always do. Um, but it'll be, a, it'll be a great one. And of course, I'm looking forward to the hot springs. It'll be mandatory, a part of the curriculum to uh, test out all the, the amenities because, you know, they're building hot springs in the residential area. So if you don't have some experience of what it's like to be in the different pools, then uh, you're going to be um, you're going to be kind of not have enough information to really properly design the place. So soaking the hot springs will definitely be part of the curriculum. Yeah, can't wait. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me, Jesse. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm glad you asked. Thanks for having me. All right. Have a great day. You too. Thank you so much for tuning in to Earth Repair Radio. I'm Andrew Millison, and you can find more episodes on earthrepairradio.com.